Hey everyone, and welcome back to the First Act Podcast. Today's episode features Darshan Kaler. Darshan walks us through his unique experience building his business, Tradable Bits. Without ever receiving outside funding, Tradable Bits is a leading technology platform to help music, sports, and entertainment companies better understand their fans, make smarter decisions, and operate more efficiently. If you have any interest in these industries and are curious about what the future of technology looks like, this is an episode you don't want to miss. And now, hosted by Harry G, this is your one-stop shop for hot talk straight from the top. Whether you're trying to build a job in pop, rock, or any other artsy schlock, here's your top dog with info that can't be bought, it's gotta be sought. So sit back, crack a six-pack, because we're about to chit-chat and rip facts. It's the First Act Podcast. Darshan, thank you so much for being on the First Act Podcast. Hey, thanks. Thanks for having me. I'm quite excited to have this uh, session with you. For those of you out there who don't know about Darshan or about Tradable Bits, so Darshan is the CEO and founder of Tradable Bits. They're based in Vancouver, British Columbia in Canada. And um, you guys are essentially like the leading fan marketing data platform for entertainment. Is that right? Well, I mean, we're definitely leading. Uh, we're we're making changes in the uh, the music industry and making waves. Um, used by you know some of the largest uh, promoters in North America and in Australia, so we're pretty excited about seeing our tech being uh, leveraged to its full potential and obviously to improve fan experience, uh, whether it be a festival or improving your ability to reach the right audience uh, for concerts, tours. Uh, and so on. But not only that, you know, we also focus on sports uh, and, you know, entertainment uh, uh, from that perspective as well. Awesome. Yeah. So what's what's really exciting about today is, you know, you guys are still quite a small company, right? Like you, like relative to, you know, some of your clients, I would say. How big is your team now? Team's about 30 now, um, internationally. So we have uh, folks in, you know, uh, in Australia and in Europe, and uh, most of us are, are here based in Vancouver uh, from engineering support management here. Uh, obviously, we've got some field supports uh, in, in the other regions. It, the beauty is technology, you, you don't have to have a thousand people, right, you know, to, to build a great product. Um, if it's a product that uh, even from an enterprise perspective can be used by um, your clients, in our in our case, we want our clients to learn and understand the technology and and really get them to the point where they're doing everything themselves. So, from an operational perspective, uh, you don't need to staff up uh, from that perspective. So, uh, pretty exciting the fact that we're dealing with you know multi billion dollar companies um, using our technology to help them you know drive their business. That's great. That's that's very exciting that, you know, you've already expanded globally. You guys have been around for like some 10 years, 11 years now. 10 years. Yeah, uh, we're on, uh, you know, coming to 11 years. Yeah, the, uh, you know, we're, when we started Tradable Bits, uh, it's self-funded. We never raised any money. So it's a unique uh, scenario. It doesn't happen all the time where companies, especially in the tech world where, you know, you, you, you roll out an, uh, a new medium, new technology without ever raising any money. The challenge with that though, is um, it's very slow. So for the first three years of, of the company, uh, it was really Dimitri and I, and maybe one or two developers um, involved in just kind of refining the product, finding that market uh, product fit. 
Um, and, and once we figured it out, you know, just in our third year and how to monetize it, that's when we started to, okay, let's start growing this thing. So that's the big difference though. If, uh, if you did raise capital, uh, yeah, you could probably get up and running in six months and, uh, uh, and accelerate that growth. So for us, we took the long play, uh, build the right, uh, you know, the right partners and right, you know, for us, uh, we call it, call them partners, not necessarily just customers and clients, um, you know, because we are building a platform that was going to change the future for music. So, um, and sports. And so from that perspective, we, we were very hyper-focused on who we want to bring on. So as I've already mentioned to you before on our last call, a lot of the audience members are high school students, college students. So this is a very exciting episode, I think, for them. And they might not even know it yet because Tradable Bits will probably be one of those companies that you hear about in five, 10 years from now when they're doing even bigger changes in this industry or, or already have done significantly larger changes. But this is, this is all about, you know, it's the beginning, right? How you start one of these companies, how you actually make a change and revolutionize an industry. So here we have a very unique opportunity to, you know, understand how you build a company like this. Where do you even start? Who do you need to get started? So I think it's very commendable the fact that you guys have not even raised money, you, but you just bootstrapped, meaning, you, you know, it's self-funded. I'm not sure how you guys did it, but you were able to pay yourselves or, or you guys just took like a pay cut for, for a couple of years. How did this work? Yeah, uh, you know, so here, here's the thing, right? So... Um, uh, several years ago, actually, you know, uh, I think there's more and more of this that's going to come around, um, you know, in, in, in the future years. Uh, the reality is the access to technology uh, drops uh, significantly. Uh, and, you know, in my days when we started, you know, when we were building data centers and, you know, servers and everything else, you need a lot of equipment. That's a lot of capital. And, you know, for somebody who's just starting up, that's a lot of money, right? Um, and uh, even if you just have to buy PCs and so on, it's it's, it's capital intensive. But in today's world, I mean, you could spin up a server uh, service, but even for free with no, uh, you know, with no users yet as you build out uh, in an infrastructure that is enterprise-based, right? Whether you go Amazon, Azure, or Oracle, whatever. Um, and so building out tech in today's world, um, you could do it in your basement, right? Do it and do it in, you know, like kitchen table, right? And for us, uh, for the first three years, that's what we, you know, we kind of called them, uh, our development. It was really just either, uh, you know, Dimitri would come over my house and we're in the kitchen table, you know, doing the things that we need to do, kids running around and, you know, and then, uh, following week. I'd be at his house, right? So you know, we just kind of uh, cobble it together. But the but the most interesting part about about this concept of starting your own and not needing capital is that there's really, um, you know, a, a mindset that you have to have, and um, and you're inundated by so many different companies like you know you'll see press releases so and so raised you know three million so and so raised 30 million you know uh and and you feel like how am i going to get there right um and um and you can get there if that's the treadmill you want to run um uh, but you don't have to uh and the best part is you should wait and try to get your your product to a certain point um that you're generating income so that you're calling the shots rather than the investor basically taking more equity. 
uh, out of your business, uh, driving you to do things that you probably didn't want to do, um, you know, because they're kind of holding the purse, so to speak. So, so I encourage a lot of people, uh, you know, whether high school students or university students, or, you know, even, even if you're in your forties or fifties and you want to start something, it doesn't require capital, uh, but you do have to feed yourself. So, so at the end of the day for us, when we started, uh, you know, we were consulting on the sidelines. Um, so we were still getting income. Uh, the challenge with that is that when you're doing a side gig, in this case, at that time it was tradable bids, uh, you're not hyper-focused. Your, your, your mind is not necessarily hundred percent tuned in to how to really grow this company. Right. So for the first year for us, um, it was really just making sure that, okay, can, can, can we work together? Can we have a concept, you know, uh, can, is this sustainable? Uh, and then the second year we, we basically said, no, we're going to we'll jump in. Uh, we have our own savings uh, account, you know, reduce your expenses as much as you can and, um, and figure out how to make money. I mean, basically, you know, the second year was like, okay, let's make sure that we can, you know, pay the rent and some other basic needs. Um, and once we, once we got to that, then, you know, we were able to kind of move to the next stage. Now, the beauty of being in Canada, there's amazing uh, resources available. So it's very different. You know, if you were in the Silicon Valley, uh, you know, then you're chasing that, that investor, that money, that private VC. But in Canada... Uh, we have um, s several different um, vehicles to try to um, raise capital. So um, if you take a look at um, uh, IRAP, right? So uh, it's a certain program within Canada that you could um, potentially get everything from as low as $10,000 and maybe, you know, as high as maybe $60,000, $75,000. But for a startup, uh, to bring in another maybe co-op student or somebody else and, you know, to pay some minor bills, uh, minimum wage fees, you know, uh, employment for yourself, uh, it, uh, it, it really gets you started. So, uh, and then any technology you develop and so on, you know, there's also um, uh, Shred, which is basically the, the research entity for um, um, tax, uh, um, the benefits that you might be able to get at the end of the year if you generate any income and so on. So, so all of that really, really prompts us up to success. And without those two, actually, to those two vehicles, it would have been very difficult to try to do it in that three-year window. Um, you know, to to grow a company. That's a lot of interesting stuff, especially for these the Canadian students or Canadian listeners out there. You know, but ultimately, you know, wherever you are who are, you know, if you're trying to build a business, you should always be looking into the benefits or the things that you can get for free to help you get started. When you're, when you're an entrepreneur, it's not enough just to have an idea. You need to know how to execute the idea, but in order to execute the idea, you also need to have a strategy, right? So I think that it sounds like when you were first getting started, you were making sure that you and Dimitri, your partner, were the right fit for one another, um, make sure it's the right idea. And also then make sure that you would be able to pay yourselves a little bit and pay any sort of development. I guess development was the priority at the start. Yeah, absolutely. So the, you know, the, you know, if, if we have uh, international, um, you know, uh, students or people that want to uh, build out a company, um, I encourage you to apply into Canada, to be honest. Like if you're, you know, um, 
the ecosystem uh, available in either be Vancouver, Edmonton, Calgary, Montreal, and Toronto. I mean, these are uh, our major hubs, um, and there's tons of initiative to um, to to bring talent into the country. Um, and so, you know, if you are strapped for, you know, maybe your the the country you're in is not providing the right resources for you to accelerate. Um, yeah, I think there's there's opportunities there, but definitely always look at, um, you know, the the most governments are going to be looking at ways to try to support uh, you to grow your business because at the end of the day, if you grow your business, you're going to have employment, and that employment will pay taxes, and that taxes is how the government makes money. Right. So, um, so from that perspective, there's there's always uh, an opportunity somewhere. There's also, you know, uh, the term angel investors is always interesting, but, you know, you've always got your friends and family plan that you can potentially tap into. Um, but also there's there's philanthropy that might be available, depending on, on what you're trying to start. Uh, there might be some other folks out there, you know, that have the same vision or want to execute something that you're trying to accomplish. Um, and you might have a right fit where someone is is going to invest in in your company uh, in this case they're not really investing they're they're interested in making that idea a reality mm -hmm. uh and they'll you know and they'll provide seed capital to kind of get you started right and so essentially you really need to be thinking outside the box on how how can i either get some money so we can get started before we're generating revenue but i want to jump back for a second and, and draw a parallel because this is a different area of the entertainment industry, sports and entertainment, I'll say, um, where this is for people who are more interested in this space, but maybe are, have a little bit of a tech or a product or service focus instead of particularly being like um, a promoter or a tour manager or, or a, an artist manager or an artist. So the parallel here that I want to make is between, um, you know, you, you said if you want to raise money for your company, you want to be the one calling the shots. And in order to do that, you need to make sure that you are generating some sort of revenue first, because that gives you a little bit of clout, a little bit of leverage in a negotiation, right? Yeah. So the parallel here, though, is if you're an artist, you want to have some sort of clout when you're going to a record label. Essentially, they would be the ones who are investing in you. So there's a parallel here that's very important for artists to understand, for business people to understand, is you don't want to walk into like, you know, a lot of artists think that when, when they get a record dealer or when, when um, a record label comes to them and says, you know, you're really great sign on the dotted line, here's a contract. And they should just, you know, sign their life away because then they're going to become the next Megan trainer, right? They're going to, they're going to just hit it huge. And then they're going to be enormous and they're going to go on tour with Sean Mendez and who knows, you know, they're going to be massive. So there's a clear distinction here. Like, you know, you will get part of my French here, but you'll get fucked if you take money too early if let's say you're not generating revenue because you don't really hold any of the cards. The same thing will happen from a business to an artist. If you don't have some sort of an established fan base, you know, maybe your social media is kind of all over the place. Maybe your name is Harry G as an artist and, and you know, your Twitter handle is Harry underscore G 97 and you're not verified. And you know, you just kind of, your things are a little scattered. You have to make sure that you, you make that initial investment. So you come across professional. And you need to make sure that you have appropriate streams. You've done some, you've done some marketing for yourself. You've invested in your brand. So that way 
the record label is not just investing in your potential, they're investing in this brand, this company that you've built around yourself. And, and that, that is just the kind of parallel that I wanted to draw with tradable bits, because I'm sure if you wanted to get funding now, it'd be easy. But but even even still, like uh, if we if we take a look at um, the the opportunity, let's say you know you are an artist uh, trying to make a living out of the you know the the work that you love, right? Um, the the biggest challenge that I that I've found um, is that you know everything that you do. Regardless, whatever, even even if you love doing what 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 this you know this portion of your life is, it is still a business. There has to be an understanding of uh, you know cause and effect and things that you're doing. So you know, if, if music is your outlet, um, that's your product, and you know from a business perspective, you want to control your product. Uh, and having control over your product allows you to sell it for the right price. Um, and, um, and you yourself is a product. Um, and so from that perspective, if you don't look at yourself in a business uh, sense, uh, yeah, you can get taken advantage of, right? Um, and you could lose opportunities um, that, you know, uh, of the success that you might have. Um, in a tech world, it's the same thing. Um, you know, uh, what we built is our product. Um, we, Dimitri and I, uh, ourselves as a product, um, because of what we've learned and how we understand the industry and, and, and so on. And that's worth something. Um, and you have to realize that. And then, so once you realize that worth, then, you know, then, then you can productize that in a, in a particular fashion so that you can make a living. So, so from that perspective, it's important, uh, everything, whatever you do, whether you're painting or you're, you know, you, you love surfing and whatever it is, um, th there's always a business opportunity to sustain that, uh, activity. Let's talk a little bit about priorities when you're first starting a business. So I think that I, I'm going to jump the gun a little bit because when you said that, you know, kind of like the first employees that you had you know, outside of you and Dimitri were developers. So I was thinking that your priority was development. Was there a certain point where, you know, you had a, an initial idea that you were like, this is going to change everything. I love this idea. This is our idea. And then, you know, you threw it against the wall and it didn't stick. There, there's, there's always, uh, uh, listen, you know, if you take a look at, uh, look at Amazon. Amazon's a phenomenal company today. Did you know, I think for the first three years, all they sold were books, right? So if if you just thought that this is all they're going to do, uh, then, you know, then you didn't see the future of what probably Amazon had a vision for. So from, from that perspective, when you start something, even though you, you want to get to the moon um, and you can't get there fast enough, totally, but at the end of the day, you still have to build it uh and and figure out eventually how do you get there and so a lot of these companies start that way google search right um and taking a look at um uh, pretty well a lot of different companies they don't start big so you, you have to find that um you know that 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 singular thing that you're trying to accomplish 
So, um, so then you can kind of build on that. So for me, when, when we first, um, you know, when, when I first had this idea, I was a director of Olympic services at Bell at that time. And, uh, um, I was kind of responsible for, uh, working with the broadcast center. Um, and I was intrigued by the fact that at that time in 2010, uh, these broadcasters uh, were kind of concerned about social media. Why? Well, because, you know, someone gets down to the ski hill and all of a sudden they tweet the, you know, the time. Uh, and now the broadcaster and the rights holders and every, everybody else is competing with really a mom and pop that's on the bottom of the hill uh, that's tweeting the score where before, you know, NBC has it on their website, Right. So, so I thought that was really interesting uh, that that the the fans had this power, uh, and I and I thought it was really untapped, uh, and and so when when I wrapped up at Bell, um, that's what tradable bits was. In fact, the name purpose was really trading bits of information, and it was a research thing, just trying to go, okay, how do how does social media work? How does this how does this function? Uh, how do how do people interact? Uh, and really, in the first year when we first rolled it out, we had we went from zero users on the platform. Uh, we gave it up for free, and then within three months, uh, we were running at a rate of, I think, almost hundred thousand new people coming in uh, using the product. Uh, by the end of twenty eleven, we had. 24 million monthly active users on the platform. Wow. It was crazy. I've never seen anything grow like that. Um, we had investors calling us and I was like, and it was like, okay, well, how do you monetize? I'm like, none. Literally, there's two guys doing it on the sidelines. This is a, <laughs> a pet <laughs> project that uh, wanted to see how the social media actually worked. Uh, and, uh, you know, and then seeing how it was being used, like I remember when, you know, the, the turmoil in Egypt, uh, our platform was being used for court, you know, coordination and it was nuts. I was like, this is crazy. Um, but you empower the people all of a sudden they use the technology for beyond it. What was the product at that time? Uh, Facebook was popping everywhere. And so when uh, I was heading over to Disneyland with my kids and um, we're doing the drive uh, um, down to California and I kept seeing this facebook.com slash page, right? Um, and everywhere. And it just reminded me of CompuServe. So if you're kids, you don't know what any of these things mean, 18, you know, um, any of that stuff. But anyways, the beauty is, is, uh, you know, AOL and all that. It, but these are all these microchasms of um gar walled garden that was kind of popping up and i was like no the internet is free it's open man like why why is everybody coming into these uh ecosystem so when i came back another friend of mine um you know she she had a, a local uh music um uh, things that she does with kids and and so on uh and so she asked me hey can you customize my facebook page can you help me create a landing page and you know, we want some entry forms and blah, 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 blah. And so I so said, sure, right? So I built one. 
Uh, and then she goes, oh, here, here, you know, I'll pay you some money. And I'm like, well, no, I don't need money, man. I'll, I'll help you out. And he goes, oh, dude, like, I would have paid, you know, $2,000 for somebody to pay, you know, do that. I'm like, what? You're going to pay somebody $2,000 for that? And he's like, yeah. I was like, okay. So I said, thank you for the idea. I, I like that. So, you know, I did it for free, pro bono. Uh, and I just, um, you know, called Dimitri and I said, I got an idea. Because this is crazy. If someone's willing to pay $2,000, and this is like a small business. Uh, and literally, it took me, I don't know, a day to build. Um, I'm like, why don't we automate it so that it's purely like anybody can create it themselves. And let's just open it up. And we came up with four different products, predominantly on Facebook. Because Facebook was just skyrocketing. Um, and um, And let's figure out what this is all about. And that's where it started. So you automated. So what were the four products? So you were automating landing pages and yeah, yeah, landing pages. So it, uh, way, way back before everything was feed, right? You know, so everything was, you know, you you promote your your website. Basically, the website became the Facebook page. Yeah. Um, and then you would have a landing page there. You would have an entry form. You have a scheduler. You have a video. You have you name it, right? Like all of that type of assets it didn't really come from Facebook at that time. Uh, but they allowed you to create these containers. And so we built the hosting pieces to kind of plug in those those uh, um, opportunities for, for people to connect and enter their, their things. At that time, there was other companies like Buddy Media and uh, Wildfire and all that type of stuff, which got sold literally, I think, two or three years later for like hundreds of millions of dollars. Um, I was about to ask, why didn't you just go approach Facebook and sell your product? <laughs> well, Facebook was focused on, uh, you know, just growing their ecosystem. Um, and uh, in reality, like there's there's a lot of products that you could kind of sell Facebook. Eventually, they'll build it themselves. So really, the and, and if you don't own your own network, really, um, uh, you're, you're, you're kind of stuck. Right, you're 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 not going to be able to grow your business beyond that because you're you're kind of controlled in this, you know, you're sitting on this mountain uh, or let's call it, uh, you know, a volcano that will erupt once in a while and destroy whatever you build um, because you you know you don't own that space. You're just kind of living in it during a certain time. Okay, so you had this idea. You're able to now monetize, and so this was this was what like a uh, six months, a year into. About a year. Uh, so once we started learning how to monetize, actually, the, <laughs> it's a funny story. So this was uh, after a year of, uh, you know, we had these, you know, millions of monthly active users on the platform. Uh, and, you know, so I said, okay, I'm going to put uh, my mobile number for, you know, for kind of like our business support in, in Facebook. Um, and I get a, a call from uh a little a little company uh, called my little pony um and um, they were like literally our product was being used by nbc and so on like th this is early days right yeah and and um and they just found you well when you have 24 million monthly active users and it says powered by tradable bits you're going oh i want to do that you click onto it and then Right, and then that's how you find you. Were these like sponsored ads that you were doing? I I don't mean to interrupt the story. I'm no, 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 no. I, I had I thought about it then, I would have put ads in there and made some money, but I didn't. 
Uh, no, I mean, at the bottom, you kind of identify, you know, you're giving your information to tradable bits and all that type of stuff. So you, the links are there, right? So but like, how, how did the first people find you? Uh, so that so that it just like, exploded? Like, how did that happen? Well, first of all, uh, I think I still have my very first post on Facebook that I said, hey, we built this tool, go check it out. Literally, we had zero users. Yeah. So some of my my friends and family, they're like, oh, I could use this for my business. So I'm like, okay, great. So then you start using it and then someone else sees that, they click onto it and so on. Um, so that's why it took about three months. But once we get, once we had reached about a million uh, monthly active users, it just skyrocketed. Right. Because then it's it's really just a network effect. It's a network effect. People kept seeing that link and they're going, oh, oh, I can create a landing page. Oh, I don't have to pay so-and-so that, you know, charging me 50 bucks a month. These guys do it for free. Okay, so these were all free users and it really just happened from one Facebook post. You saying, hey guys, I made, I built this cool little thing, this little doohickey. <laughs> Absolutely, it starts there, man. It, start, it starts with that first post, right? It does, uh, no, no different like... You don't need any money to start a business. <laughs> Well, look at Jack Dorsey with his twi- tweet, his first tweet. Like, I mean, that's epic, right? So, it, you have to start somewhere, um, and and the intention is to really uh, eventually get it out. Now, in today's world, it's 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 a bit more challenging because there's a lot of noise uh, at that time when there's an ecosystem that is very fertile, right? You just had to plant the seed and just water it once in a while. All of a sudden, it just grows. But in today's world, it's very um, um, it's not all centric to there. I mean, Facebook was basically just dominating, right? It was just consuming all of the uh, different use types and, 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 and everybody was coming in there. Yeah, you know, I, I was telling this to a lot of artists that kind of, or artists or, you know, future music managers or aspiring PR specialists, you know, people that have listened to the podcast or whatever, they've come to me and they're like, oh, well, you know, how, how can I break through the noise? And I'm just like TikTok because it's, you know, it's still new enough that they can that they can really plant that seed and grow a substantial following. I see people on LinkedIn and when they have, you know, 30, 40,000 followers, which is a lot on LinkedIn, um, I ask them, you know, how how did you reach this? They said, well, I was just, I was early and I was creating, I was sharing content. They're like, it wasn't good content, but it was content where, where it's a lot of people weren't sharing it. So, you know, you just have to get, you have to see something that you, that you think has yeah, potential yeah, and, and kind of grow with it. So it sounds like that's what you guys did with Tradable Bits. Absolutely. So we had to seize the opportunity really, right? And um, and and the fact is, is that when, when we saw, like we, we didn't have time to really even figure out how to make money because uh, at the rate that it was growing and the demand, uh, and it was just making me laugh, like, uh, you know, just for fun, like we, we had um, a landing page on our website was because uh, Justin Bieber was popping, right? And so how many Justin Bieber pages are there, right, uh, on our platform? And it was like, literally, it was a counter, like every day, you know, it was like a stock market. Um, and, and we were just having fun, right? And, um, and, and when, when it actually crystallized for me that there was a, a business value, was um, was when I realized <clears throat> the way you are on Facebook and the way you are on LinkedIn, uh, and at that time, even Instagram and Twitter, uh, you're very different. You have a different persona or maybe the way you use those communication mediums differently. 
but you're still the same person. So if you go to Amazon and buy something or you go to Ticketmaster and buy a ticket, um, you know, your interactions uh, mean something, right? Uh, that's that's you, that's essence, your digital footprint. Um, and no one was really tapping in on that. Um, and, and, and so that's when we started to realize, hey, you know, to make this thing right, it's not about boiling the ocean because really we just need to uh, create these bubble effects for businesses to understand their fans. And, uh, and we were selling that idea to, you know, enterprise business and so on, because I come from an enterprise background uh, in technology, but they weren't ready. Um, but the, even, even the music business, um, and the sporting business, they, they weren't ready to accept any of those pieces, but they had fans, fans were already there and they were just really untapped. Um, and, um, and by the time we rolled these things out, right, the, at the very onset, uh, it really just started to accelerate because businesses that are trying to push the, the envelope, they were trying to do it as a cost effective as possible. So if someone says, oh, it's going to cost you $2,000 to build this stuff, and here's tradable bits, it's free, and it's the same thing. Like, why wouldn't I do that? Yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, so it was, it was absolutely a madness to kind of see all of that uh, come together in such a short time frame. So now you're you're kind of pivoting from free to paid, right? Like, well, not, not nowadays, but I'm saying like now in the story, you're pivoting your business to that. So... Who were your first, I'd say, paid clients? So, yeah, so I was talking about the My Little Pony story. So, uh, our our first our first paid client was actually uh, My Little Pony, um, and it's it's a fun story because, first of all, when you see your product being used by the likes of you know Rockefeller, uh, you know like NBC Studios or um, all of these d definitely big um, brands. And you got to remember at that time, there's all it was mayhem. There was not, you know, a foundation for how do you control social media or whatever. And so, you know, so we were just in there. Um, and so they thought, you know, they're dealing with some, you know, larger entity, right? Right. But really, you know, there's literally Dimitri and Darshan. I, I, I take the call, I happen to be on the park having lunch. And I'm sorry, you know, background, whatever, you know, I see really, oh, I'm from, from blah, 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 from, you know, uh, we have a, a, you know, an entity uh, that does My Little Pony, we use your product. And I'm like, really? Like, I, I didn't even believe it. Right? Like, <laughs> I'm just like, are you sure? Are you, are you, are you pulling my leg? Uh, it's like, no, no, this is the page. I go there and I go, oh, oh well, okay. Yeah. All right. So you are, <laughs> I, I see what you guys are doing and they're like, oh, we want to do this, want to do that. Um, you know, and I can't see, she was like, I can't find anywhere, you know, like how do I, how do I, how do I get a premium based service so I can kind of add some other functions and tools. Right. And I'm like, there is nothing on the website. Literally it's, it's just connect, go and you're done. So, um, so then finally we come up with an understanding what they want to do. And then, you know, that was our first time we would generate an invoice. We didn't even know how to generate an invoice. Did they, did they uh, know that they were your first client? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> no that's the like, last oh, it, yeah. Everyone else just calls us <laughs> and they tell us what they need and then we give them a price. <laughs> so yeah, no, no. And then that, that's when we realized we're like, okay, you know what, we can make money doing this. And then, um, you know, and then I started the marketing, the, you what, know, the, what did they the want? Solution. What did they want? And it, can you, can you share what they paid? 
No, I can't share what they paid, but uh, but uh, the the what they wanted was just a, a several different tweaks on the existing product. We had four products, uh, and then a fifth item that they wanted. Uh, we ended up building and then released it as part of the solution set. So you know, so from that perspective, they um, they funded uh, the further development of the product, uh, and and I was like, holy crap! So clients can pay us to make the product better and I can resell it. Yeah. Yeah. To many, more, many more people. So, um, uh, and, and it's great because the client is quite happy because they, you know, very, very cost effective, way, way cheaper than them paying an agency and doing all of the type of stuff. So literally there I was, I'm, I'm doing a design. I'm, you know, like, and I'm not a designer, right. Um, engineer by trade. So I uh, send it back to them and I say, I apologize. Here's a wireframe of the things that you guys wanted. And, uh, you know, if, if you have a designer in house, you know, they can pretty it up, whatever you want to do and send it back to me. And so boom, pretty it up. And I said, fantastic. We go. So did, okay, they, so did you use their design after <laughs> afterwards? <laughs> <laughs> so, so I was like, good. Right. So, <laughs> Uh, and 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 after that, I mean, we did several of them like that, like different, obviously different larger companies, uh, um, at, at at a fraction of cost, right? So so yeah. that, I think that that was the biggest thing. You don't you don't want to undersell yourself, um, but you also don't want to get to the point you, you're the most expensive. Um, but we wanted to be just below medium, uh, so someone would go okay, and and I'll tell them, hey, by the way, you know, once we do this, we'd love to write an article. Uh, they're like, well, you can't use, you know, what we did and all that stuff, but you could talk about, you know, that's fine. You can have the logo there or whatever. And so I was like, great. And most of them didn't want tradable bits link or anything like that, and they couldn't remove it. So, you know, then we're like, okay, you want, you want the footer to disappear. That's going to cost you. Yeah, that's smart. I think that these are things that you probably learned throughout your career working in enterprise. Yeah, yeah. Hey everyone, just wanted to check back in and shout all of you out who are taking the time to check out the podcast, especially those of you who have been sharing it with your friends and writing me such nice messages on Apple Podcasts, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn. If you or someone you know has an awesome story that you think should be shared with the world, feel free to write me directly on any of our socials at The First Act Podcast. Until then, stay safe.